You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business Unusual. Welcome to Topco Business Unusual podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest. I, have, I love having these award-winning people running award-winning <laughs> organizations. It's really fun, eh? There's lots to talk about. So I'm joined by Kansani Nabanda, who's the Chief Executive of Marketing and Corporate Affairs for our Business Unusual podcast, who's all the way from Nedbank. So welcome to the Business Unusual podcast. Yeah, Ralph, thank you for having me. I love the title, Business Unusual. So I'm expecting a little bit of some unusual questions here. <laughs> wow. Well, we're, we're hoping for the answers, to be honest. But um, <laughs> it's the usual questions. How'd you do it? Um, so it's really great to have you on board. I know we've struggled in a while to, to get this. You've got so much going on. You're, you're just so busy at the moment, traveling around the world and really putting on some amazing events and award-winning events. But before we go into the award-winning side and how you've done it, it'd be great to sort of move backwards a little bit and just and just talk around how did you get here um, and sort of your journey, per, your personal journey, I suppose, to where you're at. Yeah, cool. I think it's a great place to start. So maybe um, just as a start, so I am South African, but I wasn't born here. So I was born in Eswatini previously Swaziland. Uh, my dad was actually in the MK, so um, he met my mom in Swaziland. And then we obviously moved back to South Africa um, just pre the 94 elections and stuff. I did a BCom at WITS. I did marketing information systems. I've always been in marketing. So my career, um, I started it at Unilever, which I think probably the best sort of base any marketer can have and um, to work in one of the best marketing organizations in the world. But I think even beyond that, I've worked for some interesting organizations that really do put marketing at the heart of what they do, South African breweries, um, Diageo. Um, and then when I moved from FMCG, the first company I worked for was um, Vodacom. And then, you know, I came into NetBank. It's funny, I mean, one of the stories I love to tell about my current role at NetBank is that I joined NetBank as the executive head of group marketing and the guy who was hiring me, which is in my current role right now, actually resigned just before I started at NetBank. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you're gonna you're meant to be my boss. Where are you up to? And he was he was actually going to one of our competitors. And then I said to my mom, actually, I'm going to throw my head in the ring for my boss's job. And my mom said, you haven't even started at NetBank. And I said, wow, I have nothing to lose, really. And it was fantastic because I started in September 2017. And in 2018, Mike Brown and Numfundo actually came to me to say, we're promoting you, um, which became official in May 2018. So I think there's a, I mean, if, if anyone says like about my journey and stuff, I think there's a lot of like sort of bravery, chutzpah, um, just not being scared and putting myself out there because I always believe that the worst that, you know, they can say is no. And, you know, no is also fine. You learn and grow from it. Yeah. <laughs> It's an amazing story, eh? And um, I'm I'm always intrigued because I think that courage, that courageousness. I mean, you 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 spoke about your mum a bit, but do you think that came from your mum or your father? That sort of courage to 
to take on these risks in a way, right? I mean, this is a, a risk taker at a young age. That's <laughs> yeah, maybe I, marketing. <laughs> I actually think a little bit of both of them. I mean, one, so my dad, like, definitely, like one of the things he always used to tell me was that there's no one in the world who can ever tell you what you can or cannot be. And that's something that I, I literally live by. Um, and it's how I make a lot of my decisions and stuff. My mom is the quieter brave. Do you know what I mean? Like she's mm. the brave that holds the family together when your dad is underground. Like the brave yeah. that, you know, so it's, it's a different sort of, I think, um, bravery. Whereas my dad was the more overt one, which gave me a real role model around really being able to stand up for yourself and um, really going for what you want when you, you know, and, and not being scared about the outcome of, of what it is. And in fact, sometimes not even like, I mean, I, when, when I think about going for my current role, I hadn't joined NetBank. I wasn't quite sure what I was getting myself into, but I realized that I had to believe in my experience, in what I'd achieved before, in, in what I knew. And that was always going to stand me in good stead. So, you know, for me, I believe as a marketer, you can actually be on any category, any brand. You can use your experience if you're a strong marketer. So just having that like level of um, confidence in my like experience and expertise, I think, yeah, was important. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really sorry to hear about your part. Your father passed away recently, but I, yeah. I do understand he was a massive, had a massive impact on your life as well. But he was quite high up in the army. I mean, he was uh, was he a major general or? He was a brigadier general. Brigadier and... general. I do apologize. Wow, that's <laughs> serious stuff, eh? Look, I think, um, you know, we'll, I mean, I'm happy to talk a little bit even about like my Harvard experience. But for me, I found out while I, while I was in the US that my dad had passed on and I had about a week and a half to finish the AMP program. And it was a very difficult moment because I had to do I come back um, and finish AMP next year. But again, when I talk about my mom's bravery and how she is, she said to me, firstly, if you don't finish AMP, your dad will haunt us. So you have to stay and finish AMP. And then, you know, we'll, we'll bury him when you get back to the country and stuff. So I'm very grateful that my family chose, you know, to say, you know, finish your program and stuff. And then obviously then coming back and having to go through the funeral. And because he was in the army and the military, you can imagine the level of you come mm. you walk, like I landed at Oratambo, drove to my parents' house in Kempton Park and found the army there. And I was like, okay. Like and I think he had a pretty fitting um farewell. I was very proud actually of what the 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 military did, you know, for my dad. Because in a lot of ways, what he did when he was in the MK and what he did when he was in the South African National Defense Force, because he was part of the team that actually put together, if you think about it, people who were trying to kill him and people were like when he was in the MK Crazy. and, you know, the other way. And he was part of the team that was transforming the army to bring it into the South African National Defense Force. So just so much that you can learn from that, you know, um, around, you know, keeping your eye on the prize, forgiving people and, you know, wanting to make sure that our country is successful and moving forward with that. And I certainly think they gave him a fitting, you know, farewell on that. I was very proud, to be honest. Um, it, it, it was bittersweet. Also, you hear all these stories about your dad that you didn't know about, like from, you know, you know, all his comrades and stuff. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, like I, I really am proud of my dad. And I think he, he really has been a massive influence for me. It's amazing. Eh? And your mother, I heard, was a teacher. 
Yes, yeah. So my mom just um, retired in June or July, which is also a bit sad because, you know, you retire and you, you know, meant to be with your partner and stuff, you know, but, you know, my mom was a teacher and it's always interesting for me. My dad in the army, my mom a teacher and all of us, the kids are like in this, I'm the most probably professional like everyone else is like filmmaker you know animation and all of that like how do they get like all these creative people but I think my mom being a teacher is a fundamental sort of element of how I think about education and and what I think also contributed to my success because it didn't matter which part of the world or the continent we lived in the education piece was always important to my parents. Um, so, we, you know, I was put in boarding school to make sure that my education was never interrupted. You know, varsity, going to university was not even a question mark. In fact, even for my siblings, all they are, even though they're in the creative field, they all have degrees. It was never a, a choice that you couldn't get a degree. You had to. And when I went to WITS, I, I mean, I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. And my dad was like, I mean, the dean spoke about information systems. My dad was like, computers, that's, you know, you're going to make a lot of money. Go do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even though I hated it, like, with all my heart, actually, like, what I, you know, I majored in it. So education for me and learning does come from my mom and reading. So I'm a, I am a voracious reader and I read everything. I read murder mysteries, though, you know, I read you know, the world is falling apart and there's an apocalypse. I love yeah. zombies and like all of that. At the same time, like right now, Mteto Nyati has just joined the NetBank board as one of our board members and I'm reading his mm-hmm. book, Betting on a Darkie. So I, I I really have a wide sort of, you know, I'm not like, I'm not going to be like, the only thing I probably don't read is like romances. I find them really boring. Like that's yeah. it outside of that. But I think it does come from my mom because I, I loved reading from a very young age. Yeah. It's so funny because I see so many successful South Africans who had parents. One parent was a teacher. And it almost seems that love of learning yeah. and reading and, you know, just um, getting that knowledge. And and do you find it for yourself with your team? Is that important for you when, when you're getting people onto the team to get people who are avid readers or people who are upskilling themselves? Do you think that's part of yeah. the success in in teams? I do think so. So firstly, one of the things that I look for when I'm hiring is curiosity, right? Like, so I want in in a conversation to realize that you think beyond your current world of marketing or the company that you work for or so cure. And for me, people who are curious, I know that they'll be avid readers or, you know, however way they find the information. That's something I really look for. I always worry in my team if someone says, no, I'm not interested in growing. I'm not interested in learning. And if and sometimes, you know, we identify someone and we go, you know, this person we think has got like really good potential, but they need maybe some help and growth and development in these areas. And then they look at us and go, no, I'm not interested. It really concerns me because I never feel like I'm at the end of knowledge. I'm never like I I, I certainly am nowhere near even in marketing. The thing that I think I'm, I'm really good at, I still feel like I'm learning. You are. You are. <laughs> <laughs> you are good. <laughs> So, yeah, like for me, um, you know, I I do think that sense of wanting to know more, that sense of curiosity of, you know, and and actually, I mean, just rather practical example, when I took on my role at NetBank, 
digital marketing has been something in marketing that you know has been a conversation for many many years but i think as marketers who started more than 20 years ago where we didn't have digital marketing mm. we've like been sitting there going what are these kids on about right like mm. which you know they're talking about seo and cost per click and all of that so about when i started in my role at netbank i had to build a business case to increase our digital marketing team and the amount of money that we spend there now i can't go to the exco and sell this thing if i don't understand what it is so i had to get my head knee deep in like really understanding digital marketing so that i could talk about how it's going to help the bank and help grow our bank and stuff and i told my team and at the time our head of digital marketing was armed and i said to him i'm like at 20% of your knowledge i don't want to get to the you know 100 but i need to get to like your 50 60% so that i can tell the story and then also keep you honest on whether or not we are you know doing well mm. in that space and stuff so i certainly believe in continuous learning and i mean that's interesting because i was going to ask you about that because things are changing and how do you get involved in projects or initiatives or new digital opportunities like i don't know, um tiktok or whatever yeah. when there is really no maybe foundation or experience or measurement and you got to try and get other people to invest risk risk averse people by the way yeah to <laughs> to, to invest do you have a formula for doing that i mean do you do you have a, like a a way of thinking that you say okay like i need to understand this my first and then how are you going to take them on that journey to buying into your idea I'll give you actually a very recent example that I'm working on with um Fred who's our chief um technology officer. So the tech team and the marketing team we basically went to the Exco and we said this metaverse thing everyone is speaking about it. <laughs> we have no idea really what it is. We you know we can listen to podcasts, we can listen to people tell us about it, but unless we play in it, we're never going to learn. So we actually put a, a, a thing and with with no sort of this is going to be the return, except we're going to learn, right? And we said to Exco, yeah. could we get X million rand um, to play in the metaverse and stuff, which they signed off? Because I think like I mean I think the Exco can tell, Mike Brown can tell, right? Like what's happening in the world is changing, and if if we sit back and say we must know 100% before we go into it, we'll never do anything. So for for me, it's really around just saying to the Exco. we need to at least come out with learning so if you look at netbank golf challenge we were in the metaverse um where we we had in the wonderland metaverse where you could come in and play golf you know you could you know get nfts there we weren't selling them because of all our banking regulations and stuff like that and stuff but yet yet teams. yet <laughs> and right now we've got still in the metaverse because I, i've learned through all of this that there's decentralized and centralized metaverse so we're looking at going into roblox I wouldn't know any of these things if we actually didn't go to the exco and say look we don't know what's going on here we we're never going to learn it in a classroom we never we actually just have to go in and do something with it and because you know Fred and I were partnering on it it landed um and now I mean we're the first financial service provider on the continent to go into the metaverse and 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 I actually think what we did I mean I'm bragging here is better than some of what all the other banks globally have seen do um and we've got so many lessons so when we launched Netbank Cup next year in January 
we've already taken a lot of that to say, how do we even take it to the next level? And so, so for me, that's how I think about it is how do we, we you, you don't go big, like you don't go spend millions of rands where you're actually being irresponsible, but you certainly take a bit of your budget and say on this budget, we're not expecting any level of return investment or anything. We're here to learn and play. Um, and you have yeah. to you know, get your team to get to that level of thinking. It's a, it's a big investment, but I suppose it's that buy-in from also the organization. But I mean, talking a little bit, Backwards now, I mean, that courageousness of taking this new role on, I think I read somewhere you felt like you had 70% of the skills or the attributes to do the role. And so what what goes through your head to go for this? Because I think it is a big challenge. I mean, yeah. um, um, I think it was KPMG identified one of the biggest challenges with, with women driving forward is they felt that they maybe didn't have enough expertise or the skills mm. to, for advancement. Mm-hmm. And where maybe a woman, if if she had like seventy percent of the skill, she was like, no, I'm not quite ready. Where a man mm-hmm. might need maybe fifty percent. He's like, I'm <laughs> all like, in. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> and so it 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 is a, a phenomena. And so um, and I suppose what they did is then start preparing women and saying, listen, if the position comes up, this is the things you need to do to cope and and learn on the job it's a bit like the metaverse it's like yeah. well we don't know but we're going to learn like there's that failings okay yeah yeah so i mean again there were two elements for me right i i one i could rely on my marketing experience and background that i was very clear about so and that gave me like a lot of confidence the, the things that I was nervous about was banking. I'd never worked in a bank and stuff. But again, I looked at um, Vodacom. And if you, so in FMCG, as a marketer, you manage the entire PL of whatever brand or category that you're working on. Any decisions on R&D, you know, on supply chain, all of that. Actually, you know, you are the one who leads them. For me yeah. to have gone through a Vodacom where that's not the case, where there's product people, there's CV, it's like a very sort of matrix structure and stuff, actually helped me because I suspect, Ralph, had I gone straight from South African breweries into NetBank, I might not have been as successful, to be honest. So, again, so this was not really around functional experience, but it was around how do I work in a matrix organization where you don't own the entire value chain? So that that gave me a little, like some confidence to say, even though I've never been in a bank, I think I can use my Vodacom learnings um, in this space. And then, you know, the two other areas that I'd never worked on, which is corporate and social investment, which is part of my portfolio and transformation and coming into like heading up transformation where, I mean, the first time Kirshni, who's my executive head of transformation and strategy, she took me through the BE scorecard. I was like, what? This is so complex. (laughs) (laughs) I did a master class with earlier this week, was it, I think. And it is complex. You're right. So. So this is another thing that you've got to take on. I think there's a hundred hundred odd points of legal aspects you need to understand. Absolutely. So so there's so many indicators and la- levers to it. Yeah, and, and when you're not in it, you, it, it actually feels like someone just puts up a scorecard and they go, you're level one, and uh, okay. And then you're yeah. like in it and you're like, wow. But the other thing that for me, I thought that gave me like a confidence, even though I knew that I didn't know those areas, was the two people who were leading those areas I knew had done it for many, many years. So it's, it's like yeah. I've got two strong executive heads. So I believe in like the team around you. Um, it has to, You can't be the smartest person in the room. There has to be, you know, other people who know a lot of things, a lot more things and a lot more areas more than you and stuff. Um, and actually, my funnily enough, in CSI, we've had a change of leadership 
um, in to replace myself. But what I do is I go fetch, Ralph. So I actually fetch mm. people that I've maybe heard of or maybe experienced. So our executive head of group marketing in Tabi Singh was at Vodacom. And I, I didn't work directly with her, but I could I saw her in meetings. I saw, you know, so I called her and I said, look, I've just gotten promoted. So I need to replace myself. Please apply for the job. And she said, you know, and stuff. So that's, you know, for me, I do think that the team that you work with will help you, you know, and you make sure that you 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 have one vision of what you're trying to achieve. Um, and, you know, Poovy, who heads up our CSI, was exactly the same. He worked in the business from an RBB, retail and business banking perspective. In my interactions with him, he looked after youth and ELB. He was always so concerned about the role of net banking society, even on our the, the products that we have. So, you know, and he'd spoken to me about CSI before. So I went to him and I said, Poovy, you know, um, there's a role here that you could, you know, so you go through the process and stuff and he did really well. So I really believe in most of the time for my talent, I actually go fetch them because um, I want, you know, the people that I know can do the job and in their areas of expertise, definitely know more than me. Like it's, you know, it's fine. <laughs> that that old thing, you know, get someone, hire someone better than you, not someone as good as you. Absolutely. But I mean, but it, it seems like your, your love of like uh, murder mystery novels, sort of that, that linking, you're, you're seeing potential in someone you're seeing a problem that needs to be solved and you're you're linking them. I think one of the biggest challenges that I see with a lot a lot of leaders is that trust. Mm. It's almost they're 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 held back by the fear of what if this person doesn't work? Mm. How do you get over that? How do you have the courage to move forward with these people? Because it isn't easy. No, it's not. And and you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work. But I've also learned in my career um, that you need to have open and courageous conversations. One of the biggest mistakes I made um, when I was at SAB is I had someone in my team who in two, three months, Ralph, I knew it, it wasn't going to work out. And I should wow. have I should have dealt with it then. And I didn't. And uh, 18 months, two years later, it actually impacted our performance as a team, it impacted the performance of the brand we were working on. It was a massive lesson for me. So what I do now is let's, you know, you can come on board. Even if I find you there, it's not a problem. Let's work through it. If in two, three months I can see that this is not going to work out, I actually have a very open conversation to say, I don't think you and I are working out and stuff. And, you know, here's your options. And, you you know, and most people actually appreciate that because the it's the worst thing to continue to come to your job every day and you're miserable. You know, your mm. boss is miserable with you. Like, yeah. So actually, for me, I, I think it's a gift if someone says to me, Kenzie, this is not working out for us. I think maybe yeah. explore your options and stuff. So I'm not scared that someone yeah. won't work out because I know that I can have a courageous conversation. And are there any no-nos? Like, is it a values thing or is it just a personality thing or or is it like a uh, work ethic type of thing? Or what, yeah. what are those no-nos for you? So for me, it's definitely values. Um, I So I, I hate people who undermine, um, you know, like other people. I don't like, even if you're not lying, you can tell that there's mm. like there's couching, you know. I hate yeah. people who don't hold other people accountable and because I'm I'm big on holding other people accountable. So if I'm saying to you, Ralph, you've got an unperform you've got an underperformance issue in your team. I yeah. need you to deal with it. And then you mm. don't. Like 
what that does for the rest of the team isn't great because they watch that and go, oh, well, Ralph continues to be in his job and he's underperforming. They can all see it and stuff. So I need the leaders who I work with to manage, you know, you know, things like that. Personality is actually not even a thing. So, I mean, this on Tuesday, I was with Ntabi Singh, who heads up um, like group marketing. And I call it the yin to my yang. We're like chalk and cheese, but we work so well together. <laughs> Why is that and so I'm, important? Why is that so important to have so completely me, different people? Absolutely. Imagine if everyone like in my team was like me, nothing would happen, Rob. There'd be a lot yeah. of like visionary, let's go do this. <laughs> let's be brave and not, you know. I don't have that problem. To- I don't have that problem. <laughs> So, no, not at all. And then work ethic. I, I also, and I mean, when I joined the team, one of the things I said to them, which it didn't land extremely well, but I said to them, I actually don't care how hard you work. What I care about is your output. Um, mm. And so when someone says to me, but I've been working so hard, I'm like, frankly, your output doesn't suggest that. So for me, you know, yeah. that's what I focus on is like the actual output. And it was very difficult for people like to, you know, to change their sort of ways of thinking around that because for me you could be sitting on a beach somewhere having a mojito but if you needed to deliver a topco podcast and you deliver it i'm yeah. good and you yeah. deliver a high standard i'm good so that's my focus yeah yeah so it's all, all on the the productive sort of output of and so that that's also changed a little bit because i think people are in that mindset is that a mindset issue though do you think or is that something is that a culture thing is what what is that because there's some people who work really hard but like was it they're they're paddling fast under the water but they're not going anywhere right i think i mean where covid has helped is i do think those mindsets are changing i think for a long time working hard was the standard like and you know i would look at people if someone says um i'm leaving you know at like 2 p.m. and people are like, ooh, look at who's taking a half day. No, leave people alone. Like, you know, so I think definitely there's a, a a big mindset that says, you know, work really hard. And that's fine if that's how you are wired. But if your output doesn't match that, then you've got a problem and stuff. But I definitely think if I look at what COVID has helped us with is to understand that people can actually operate from anywhere and you don't have to micromanage them. You don't have to, you know, be at eight o'clock and leave at five o'clock as long as they can deliver. And, you know, in, uh, proudly my team, you know, during that time, did incredible work. I mean, one of the my first experiences during that time was we had a NetBank Cup campaign with Benny McCarthy that was talking about managing your money better. You hit COVID hits. You can't be talking to people about like, you know, they, they, we've got no money. Like, it's just, <laughs> we've been fired. So we had to pivot our campaign. And in I think in the end, in three weeks, we ended up landing 12 pieces of ads that really spoke about helping you navigate a crisis like this and, you know, through different ways. We It got filmed like the actor sat at his house with a cell phone and he would send it through. It did get edited, you know, and stuff. So, wow, I mean, actually, it went opposite. I felt like from a production perspective, my team was burnt out at some stage. Like we, we had to say, guys, you actually, you know, you need to take leave. We were looking at our leave um daytime people were not taking leave like and, and you're like even if you're going to sit at home take leave it's okay you know so yeah like this I, it's, it's it's an old idea a lot of people still have it that yeah. you know but um, I, I think it's the younger you know more you know as more, as more younger people get into you know work and get into more senior positions I certainly think it's changing 
and and the, the word trust sort of comes to mind as you're speaking yeah. and it and it's sort of skewed a little bit with you know the word that unless you're trusting you're going to be taking on so much more yourself and you're going to be burnt out unless you're Absolutely. trusting and so where did that come from is that, is that an experience where you were doing all the micromanaging at one stage and working hard and then burning out yourself and realizing oh hold a second this is not working for me how did that come about because it it feels really strong that trust yeah. scenario it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question because I think it's so my last job at Unilever was I think in 2008 when I was category director for for skin. So for Africa, Middle East and Turkey, it's fantastic job, fantastic brands like Vaseline and Dove. But I had a, a I think a, a dual situation where my boss at that time, who was based um, in Singapore, so he looked after Asia, Africa and Middle East. I mean, he was incredibly ambitious. And in that ambition, drove us like donkeys because <laughs> I you know I, I I was when I when I reflect back now you know I, I I have a level of sympathy for him I didn't at that time but I mean you could mm. tell that he wanted probably the big Unilever CEO job and stuff so he drove us like relentlessly but even in driving us relentlessly didn't give us an opportunity like he didn't trust us if we made one mistake it was the end of the world basically and stuff yeah. and and I, I I then was that to my team as well. It was just like relentless yeah. and stuff. And I actually had a burnout in, in 2008. So um, I decided to take a six month break from working and I evaluated that three years in that role and stuff, especially the last sort of year in that role. And when I evaluated it, I was quite clear what didn't work for me and what worked for me. And mm-hmm. it was it, it was interesting for me because in, at the beginning of my career, I had that trust and and then I just had this period. So, I mean, a small example, my first job at Unilever was the Rama assistant brand manager and Case Kreitoff, who was the marketing director at that time, asked me to do a review of a sponsorship that Rama had, which was the Borna Women's Club, Borna the magazine. And, you know, I'm a young 21-year-old straight from Varsity, and they say, do a review of this. Should Rama continue to sponsor this, you know, this property? So I did a review and I went back and I said, I don't think we should sponsor this property anymore. So then they said, okay, cool, we're canceling it. And I said, wait, are you listening to me? Like, <laughs> I, I don't think you should listen to my record. Wait, guys. And they did. So from a very young age, I was in a space where my recommendations were trusted. I was in a, you know, what I did on the brands. Yes, I got challenged and all of that. To this situation, you know, what what was it, eight years later in my career. And so I reflected back on what had worked for me, what hadn't worked for me, because I wanted to be clear that when I went back to working after my, you know, six-month sabbatical, this is how I would show up and this is what. So I, I make it a habit even now when I went to Harvard. So, I mean, for six weeks, I basically said to my team, well, have fun. <laughs> Good, Good luck. luck. <laughs> <laughs> they won lots of rewards, by the way, when you were there. <laughs> so obviously, more often. <laughs> I don't know if they allow you, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we had our the first part of our business plan presentation for you know what are, what's our plans for up until 2025 presented at the Exco without me you know so wow. for me that's like fundamental because if you if the people that you know you work with don't get the sense that you believe in them in that way then they'll never show up in a way that you know it just like really helps the organization and the brand grow. 
Yeah. But you also, I mean, we spoke earlier, what I thought was really amazing. I mean, you had so much going on, work, personal issues, and then you got asked to deliver the, the final speech yeah. for the the group. And yeah. I mean, how was that? Sure. So, I mean, I think firstly, just getting nominated, right? Like, so I, when the, when the nominations came out to say, we've had three, nom- like the final sort of highest nominations to be class speaker for AMP 203. And my name was there. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I, It's a little bit of a surprise to me. And then what the program office did is, so then, you know, the, nom- the nominations came out and then my dad passed on. Then they came to me to say, so listen, if you do get voted, you know, would you still do it? Um, and so and I, was, I remember standing there and I've got so much going on in my head. And then I just I said, yeah, I'd do it. Then they said, actually, you have been nominated. So they didn't want to put, you know, you've been voted, you know, the class. Uh, so they didn't want to put pressure on me. And I actually, you know, Ralph, it's one of those moments where you decide that th- there's just something in the universe that says you should do this. So I, you know, really used my speech as a. Mm. Almost like a, what do you call it? Like a, to my dad, like as yeah. a, you know, reflection on. So one of the questions my dad used to love people, like social, like used to like asking people socially. He'd say to you like, "Why are you here?" And you know, you'd be like, if you're at a wedding, you'd be like, "No, I'm a friend of the bride." And he'd say, "No, no, no, I want to know why you're on the universe and stuff. Why are you on this? You know what?" Wow. So I used it actually to to really challenge us as the 176 delegates who just finished AMP around. You know, we've just gone through this program that is saying we must show up very differently as leaders in a society that's changing that requires more of us um and if you're not clear what that looks like for yourself then that's problematic and you know for me personally Ralph as a black woman I mean to it was you know 176 delegates from 44 countries to stand on that stage at Harvard and represent I, you know, for you know, young black girls and South Africa was very important. So that's why in the end, I mean, I kept thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna have to write a speech. And the night before, there was like the final dinner, and everyone's having like champagne, and I'm going, oh, I must like, I can't embarrass us. <laughs> but I knew that there was just something that felt right, that you know, give tribute to my dad, and then challenge us, and then also just represent. You know, I think young black girls like across the world like to say, and I, I got so many messages from my classmates whose daughters were watching and who were just like it was like because um, of the 176 of us, only 33 were women, sure. which which is insane, right? Like so. Yeah. You know, and they sent me messages saying, you know, our daughters were just watching you and you were such an So it, for me, it was, I, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. <laughs> so 20% were women. And, and I mean, what did you get from it? Because, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a big investment of time, effort, yeah. energy. And you, I mean, obviously, you know, what was happening, you, you'd committed a lot to it. What, what was the outcome that you got for it, for those people who maybe want to, you know, would you recommend it to, to people? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I'll start with an outcome that I, I actually surprised me. So as I said, there were 176 people, 33 women. The South African contingency, there were seven of us. Five were women wow. and four were black women, right? Like, oh, there so you go. I was, <laughs> there you go. I was so blown away. And then in class conversations, in group conversations, as South Africans, we were at a different level I can I mean I'm mm. really I'm not even like blowing our horn here mm. it wasn't to be honest 
having a South Africa be a class speaker probably was fitting in the end because really like the level of our awareness of macro issues, of contexts, of is so much more than a lot of leaders in other countries. Um, mm-hmm. So we really were as, like, you know, just a step ahead. And I, I think for me, it, it's almost like a little bit of a disappointment around our country because I feel like our country punches below its weight. Because if you look at the leadership and the executives that we have, we should be performing at a at a very different level. So yeah. I think the one outcome for me is it really gave me confidence that South Africa has really fantastic leaders who, if they put their head in it and their heart in it, can really help the government and help the people of the South Africa, you know, grow. So that was the first yeah. thing. I think the second thing is. It also helped me. So let me maybe talk about marketing. So our professor for marketing was a um, young me moon, Professor Young Me Moon. Very challenging for me as a marketer who's been working for about mm. 20 years, like you know, more than 20 years in the industry. Things like saying to us, loyalty is dead. And I was going, wait a minute, like loyalty is like fundamentally the thing that you want for your brand. Now, I'm not saying I fully agree with her, but it was so nice to be somewhere mm. where I was being challenged on a lot of notions that I have and are deep rooted and deep seated. So for me to now have to like come back to my team and say, okay, if loyalty is dead and engagement is now the thing, what does it mean for our plans and stuff? So, you know, so it's it's for me, like how do I use these things that I learned to like really challenge like the work that we're doing? I think maybe like finally, so if you're going to be a business leader, like I sit on the NetBank Executive Committee and part, yes, I head up marketing and corporate affairs, but I, I'm one of the 13 people who run the bank. I can't just sit on that committee and just talk marketing. I have to talk broadly about the issues mm. that the bank faces. And like a simple thing, you know, the we were looking at our scenario plannings for the next three years. And one of the scenarios was was something called stagflation. Now I don't know about you, Ralph. I'd never mm. heard of stagflation. Like, <laughs> but and here, here I was sitting at Exco, and we'd just gone through the whole idea of what happens to an economy during stagflation, what happens to an organization during stagflation. So I'm now at Exco, and I'm able to challenge the scenarios and be able to contribute. So I think for me, what it also did, because you really, it's it's broad, right? Because you're doing finance, microeconomics, but you're doing it because I did an MBA at Gibbs, which was really good, but you're doing it at a level where they're not expecting you to do a P&L. Like no one's expecting you to like, you know, say to Mike Davis, our CFO, let me do the numbers for you. But they are expecting me to be able to challenge Mike on what he's putting on the table, to be able to challenge our business guys, you know, on what they're putting on the table. So for me, like if you want to show up as a leader in your organization beyond your functional thing that you are really good at and capable of, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, so get also that diversity of thinking as well. But, but I mean, you spoke about stagnation, and, and I suppose I want to talk around sponsorship in general, but maybe just finishing off on the education piece because I think education is – so important and one of the you know i suppose the the purpose of nedbank is to do good to the communities that you serve and i think it's so fitting and and really relevant like and i I tell you why it's for me important because when i finished school no one had educated me really on money my dad educated me on sales Mm. and marketing but not money and i read rich dad poor dad and i thought to myself why is this not being taught at schools why are we not teaching this stuff but you guys are i mean that's one of the big attributes that you're using your sponsorship muscle is to do good for the communities that you serve with with um financial education how do we bring that into the schools though because i know that we had we had someone 
come from Nedbank into our offices, right? This is mm. about two weeks ago to talk to all our, our people. And so I really believe in this truly. I think it's the most important thing is financial literacy. If you're working hard and you're earning an income, there's some there's some key drivers you want to know, like, you know, spend less than you earn and... and like just how to put a budget together. Like. How to put a budget together. <laughs> yeah. but, but how do we bring this stuff to the schools? I mean, what, what are your thoughts here in, in the education system? Is that needed? Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, if I think of, so I've got um, my my nephew, Alex, who's nine years old, and he's doing life orientation. So whenever I go through what he's learning, I'm like, I think we're missing a fundamental thing during life orientation, right? Which is just basic financial, like understanding and stuff. I mean, when I was growing up, I guess it's again, my mom being a teacher, if I wanted something, so like I'd say, mom, I'd like Levi's jeans, my mom would show me her and my dad's income and their expenses and then she'd say do you still want Levi's jeans and like probably not so I learned from just those conversations and I think we are missing out on those conversations I definitely think so as a bank if you look at from a young people's perspective we've got um, penny power and the whole idea of penny power is really to teach kids um, and it's on Disney like to really teach kids you know how to think about money and use money from a very young age I certainly think and maybe this is something that Actually, it's a good challenge, I think, for us as a bank is how do we have a conversation with the Ministry of Education, you know, to really start mm. doing this as part of, you know, your LO. And because for me, I think if you can start from a young age, I think it, it, it'll send you in good stead. My friends and I always laugh, like they always say, like, I love nice things and, you know, and I buy them. But because of what my mom taught me at that young age, like some things I look at and I go, yeah, no, I can't afford this. Like, it's OK. Like, <laughs> But you need to learn that from a very young age. Yeah, I think we need more money conversations, right? It's that thing on like those comments like money doesn't grow on trees and those sorts of things yeah. I think are completely wrong. But like showing someone their salary slip as a kid and I'm thinking, but that's a cultural thing or, a, you know, a, a value thing in a family about being transparent, showing yeah. the children this is where we're at. So they yeah. all also understand and are part of that. But I mean, so I, I mean, with that in mind, um, you're obviously an award-winning organization when it comes to sponsorship, marketing. You've marketer of the year. You've won that. How important is sponsorship to what NetBank does? I think a couple of things. So, I mean, the way we look at sponsorships is, and if you look at the properties we're in, like sponsorships for you know people love football. That like golfers love golf. Like, exactly. I heard you're a Liverpool supporter. I am massive. Wow, Liverpool. that's it then. It's over. Who do you support, Rob? Who do you think? Who do you think? Man United. No, Liverpool. Um, oh, got, I love it. Can't, can't you tell by the glasses? I've got class. <laughs> I love it. This is even better. No, I love Klopp. I mean, he's just he's <laughs> just too. the best ever. <laughs> like, even if I was looking at the last season and everyone's like, okay, I'm like, just leave Klopp alone, please, guys. Like, <laughs> change the players. Like, <laughs> But, you know, so, I mean, you can see just this little conversation about football. Like, there's so much passion when it comes to, like, a lot of the properties that we're in. So we use those passions to connect our brand to people using those passions. And um, I think for going forward, the challenge is more not around, because I think we've got really good awareness now. People understand what our brand stands for. It's really around how do we commercialize those sponsorship platforms and stuff. And 
And, you know, and, and commercialization can be like different for different properties. So, for example, in, in football, one of the things, so, the, you know, the meeting that I had in just before you with our sponsorship agencies to say, I don't want people to just be aware of NetBank Cup. How do you take them down the marketing funnel where you actually convert them to getting a home loan, getting a transaction account? I think that's the challenge with sponsorships at the moment is that yeah. a, a brand as big as ours, that has got as high unaided awareness, high levels of, um, consideration. We don't need our sponsorship properties to drive emotional connection. We actually need our sponsorship properties to drive volume sales. Like, yes. And that's, you know, for me, where our challenge is sitting. And how do you see that being changed? I mean, are you seeing that sponsorship opportunities are changing and, and what you're looking for is different now compared to before? And yes, so, and, and I mean, you're talking about the metaverse a little bit. We've gone through COVID, which is all digitized. We're going back to the events. We've got this sort of hybrid world. Is that something that you're considering as well? Is that yeah. a big play? And and then again, so how do you measure the impact of of that in alignment? Is it? Yeah. So I actually think our sponsorship properties have to work harder in the digital world now more than in the physical world to be honest so even when the the teams present our activation plans and all of that it's lovely but that's not what's going to change the narr- the, the growth of the future of the bank and stuff so if you i mean already a massive part of our marketing budget goes to digital and where digital helps us is it helps us so if if you've got a piece of content i'm not, i'll just give a simple example a piece of content and ralph likes it when he clicks on it and then we serve you a thing that says, are you interested in getting a home loan or whatever it is? And obviously in the background, we've got all these data stuff where we've sort of not watched you specifically. But we know, like, you know, we call them. You understand. You understand me. Look at like audiences and stuff where we know, like, if this person's doing this, they're probably looking for this. So we can serve you with an offer from NetBank. And when we do make the sale, we actually have an attribution that says it came from that piece of content that was related to NetBank Cup. So that's how we're now we're getting to those levels of understanding our return on investment and a much better level than you can with an outdoor ad or with TV and, you know, and all of that. And it doesn't mean that TV advertising is going to go down because we live in a country where still, you know, the biggest media channel is TV, but certainly we are moving our budgets more to the digital space where we are able to attribute actual conversion to mm. what we've done from a marketing perspective. Mm. And so that's where our sponsorships where you know, even in the conversations with the PSL, where yes, from a rights perspective, the activation rights in terms of on the field or, mm. you know, are important or in branches, more than that, our conversation is around the digital rights, actually, because that's become much more important for us. So that's a big plan. I think we've seen the same yeah. thing. I think COVID sort of accelerated ev- everything substantially for yeah. us. And I mean, for some organizations that maybe don't have this sort of budget you've got, how important is sponsorship still for other organizations? Is it a big part of a marketing mix that... You know, at some place like Unilever and those sorts of organizations, do you think it's still important to all organizations? No, I think you have to be clear what you want to use it for. And I'll I'll speak about NetBank Cup, actually. So if you look at 12 years ago when NetBank first got into football, 
NetBank wasn't known as a brand or a bank for the people. So a lot of people felt like it was this aloof white man's brand and stuff. Mm. Getting into football actually helped change those perceptions. So if you look at how people feel about us, that's no longer the case. Yes, there's some residual sort of thinking like that, but it's no longer the case. So you actually have to be very clear. What do I want this sponsorship for? If you don't, you don't just go in. I mean, we call it chairman's folly, right? Like where um, just because I like Liverpool, I'm like, okay, let's go sponsor Liverpool. But like, Please. how's it going to help? <laughs> <laughs> so you always have to be clear what the actual objective of going into that space um, is. It's not always relevant for, for, for a lot of brands and stuff. If you want as a if you come in new as a brand into a country, for example, let's say you're known globally, but you want to make a big splash and be known immediately, getting onto a big sponsorship platform, you know, like in rugby or football, or you know, can really help you like really put your name. I mean, I think what, what was that um, cooking oil, sunflower, like when it you know, that just gave it instant brand recognition immediately and stuff, because that's what they were looking for. But it's not for everyone, and you you have to be clear about the role that it's playing um in your in in your marketing objectives and and you've won awards numerous awards market of the year in south africa <laughs> and and so what makes a good marketer what do you think makes a good marketer so i think firstly like and this seems like incredibly basic is like just know your brand please like <laughs> And it it really feels so basic, but I speak to so many people who, when you ask them, what does your brand stand for? They can't even articulate it. So how are you going to get your agencies to do work that speaks to what you stand for as a brand if you don't know your brand itself? How are you going to judge creative work? So, I mean, a lot of times my job is getting, is, is, is being sent creative concepts approve this, approve that. I have to be clear at the core of me, this is what NetBank stands for. So I think that's very, very important. The second thing is understand that, you know, if you want a sit at the table at an exco table as a marketer, you can't just be like, I love awards. I love them, right? Like, and I love winning them. I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about that. (laughs) Why? But okay. But it can't just be about that. If you're not having conversations as a marketer around growing your business, like then you you shouldn't have any sit at the table, and you're not a great mm-hmm. marketer actually. Yeah. I mean, what I you know always say um, to my marketing team is, yes, on the PNL of NetBank, when you say expenses, there's marketing, but actually we need to think about us as as a value creator versus a cost, right? Like, and if mm-hmm. you think of us as a value creator, you've got a very different way of looking at marketing. But the only way that our exco or any executive in any organization can look at marketing as a value creator is if we look at marketing as a value creator. How are we growing Trico's business? How are we growing Anel's business? You know, so for me, mm. that's a strong marketer, very commercially minded, always thinking about like the growth of the business. The last mm. bit, I think I want to go back to the curiosity beat because mm. I certainly think as marketers, the world is changing so fast for us, for our consumers and our clients. If you don't see that and you're not inter- engaged in that and interacting with that, you'll completely be left behind. And, you know, that's why you watch work sometimes that marketers do. And it feels like it's from the 1970s. But that's because they just quite haven't moved with where the world is at the moment. Yeah. And um, it's, it's funny because I go back to what your father told you, which is, why are you here? Mm-hmm. Is it that? Is it about asking yourself in an organization, why are you here? Because I think there's a perception that sponsorship and marketing is around branding. Mm-hmm. 
but but I get the sense that the best marketers, the award-winning ones, are, are like yourself. Are, it's not just about the branding. It's also about making sure there's an impact the societies yes, yes. are involved in, and also. So it's a bit it's a bit more of an and. It's not an either-or scenario. Absolutely. One of my favorite terms, my team, if they hear me say it, and and, they're just like, oh my god, she said it again. <laughs> But for me, you know, my personal purpose, which is really around, you know, just showing young black women that you, you know, you can be successful, like in any field that you want to be in. So I do a lot of, you know, mentorship. I do a lot of talks because of that. You know, I engage, you know, more broadly. I started a foundation in my brother's name um, to like, you know, fund kids and stuff. So my personal purpose is so aligned to NetBank's purpose, right, which is to use our financial expertise to do good, which is around making a positive impact on society. What that means is that it's it's incumbent on us as NetBank and on me to when I think about our sponsorship properties is what 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 else are we doing with them that goes beyond um, just, you know, the commercial objectives of the bank. And we've got a number of examples. I mean, we've been talking football, but if I look at the Cape Winemakers Guild property, um, which is the 40 winemakers uh, who are part of this guild. Um, and it's really around basically step changing the quality and of wines um, in South Africa so that we can compete globally and using those, you know, wines to be part of brand South Africa, actually, which I, I think is if important. you need a taster, you can <laughs> always get <laughs> I'm happy to do one with you, Ralph. <laughs> But a key part of that property is the Protégé program, where it's really around transforming the wine um, industry. So we've had about 41 Protégés go through that program, and about 38 of them have been people of color. And if you look at some of them, they are, you know, assistant winemakers at the moment in some of the top wine farms, you know, in in, in the Cape. Um, some have started their own brands, uh, you know. So for me, if all our properties actually have a lens like that. I mean, I look at NetBank Hub. So yes, we stopped Q on a team search. But if you look at fundamentally, you know, NetBank Hub, you've got the Premier League teams and then teams from the lower two divisions, right? A team like Barocca FC, because they went so far in the NetBank Cup and the money that they got from the NetBank Cup is why they are so successful to this day. Like because, you know, to just be a team from the lower, you know, second division to play in the NetBank Cup, you already get 150,000 rand, which feels little. But for those teams, they've got nothing, you know. So for us, there's always that thinking around how do we use that property to make, you know, a really positive impact on society. But it's not even the money, right? It's the fact that they're experienced, the fact that they're elevated their players to another yeah. level. They've got exposure to the community. The community sees there's yeah. an opportunity. They're linking it to the community. So it, it has far You're greater impact. You're beating Kaiser Chiefs. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was going to ask you, what, what, what for you is your favorite book on marketing? What, what, what? What's a standout book that you've read or, or reading on marketing that you would suggest for other marketers to sort of get into? The one I, I read recently was um, the one page marketing plan. Oh, I haven't read that one. Who wrote that one? Um, I think his name's Dill. The one page marketing plan. It's actually been on my list for a long time. I read it re- recently and it was amazing. I must just okay. tell you, it was amazing. So I would highly recommend that book for all marketers. So, yeah, I'll take, I'll, I'll read that. So for me, it's actually an old book, um, written by Jim Stangle. He used to be the CMO of Procter and Gamble. Um, I must remember the name of it. I read it many, many years ago. But if you Google Jim Stangle, you'll see like the book. It's, uh, it's around like at that time it wasn't called Purpose, and that's the interesting thing for me. So many years ago, he did this um study 
that showed that brands that stood for something had grown 10x more than brands that didn't. And he did this, Ralph, many years ago. It's so fascinating for me how relevant it still is because we we currently talk about it as purpose. Um, at that time, he didn't call it that. And, he, and that study was, I mean, he, it was done with numbers and all of that. And he, he identified that brands generally set across five different areas. You could be an adventurer, an explorer, uh, you know, the different, you know, elements where as a brand you could fit in. And he put very successful brands on those things and you could see the growth that those brands had and stuff. It actually impacted me as a marketer because to this day, it doesn't matter what brand I work on. If I don't feel like I understand what that brand stands for, then I must help that brand understand what, you know, it must have a narrative and a purpose that goes beyond its functional delivery. Um, and that's what he identified. I must, um, yeah, Jim Stengel, what was the book? It's red. That's what I remember. The cover was red. <laughs> and the funny thing is I, I found it's not just for the customers, it's internal as well. For grow. The team it's called who- Grow. Grow, grow. I'm going to read it. No, it's amazing. But I cut you off. (laughs) No, I was saying that it's – I found also that it's not just great for our customers to reflect to them our our purpose, but it's also internally really important as well for the team. I found it, if not more important for the team internally, because they've got to reflect those values and what we're creating externally. So at the Top Empowerment Awards, one of the award winners two years ago was Theo Beloy. And at the time, he he'd tried to enter several times for the Top Empowerment Awards, and he wrote to us. And when he won, I remember when he won the Entrepreneur of the Year with us. It was during COVID, the first mm. year of COVID, and he put a post up, and I think it got about twenty-five thousand likes on LinkedIn mm. and about three thousand comments. And he said to me, it got about seven hundred thousand views. And mm. he wrote to me and he thanked me and everything. And and he's been on the cover of Top Empowerment since then. And he spoke at the event. And then I saw last week he won an award internationally, mm. the entrepreneur. And I said to the team, that's the impact mm. that we're creating. We're creating these, not legends, but icons for other Absolutely. black business people to look up to, to see what's possible. And it's not just about him. It's about the communities he's serving, the teams so, of yeah. his people. And so for us, I, I agree with you. It's so, so important, that purpose side of things. But it's also, it's quite tough, right? I mean... <laughs> To articulate it, I mean, it's not an easy thing. It isn't, um, and I, I think it also changes, right? Like as sometimes, right? You, you think maybe this is what it is, and I think you should be open to, you know, changing it, and you should be open to like not really knowing what it is, but knowing that I want to do more. I can't no. just be here for NetBank's share price. Like it has to be more than that and stuff, you know. Um, and even if I don't know what that is, I'm open to exploring it. And, you know, you, you, I think as you go through your work career, your life, it'll come to you. So, I mean, I, I know we got a little bit of time limitation. So I, I had like two quick other questions. So the, the one was talking around the awards and winning awards. And you've won a lot of awards and Nedbank's won a lot of awards. I mean, I went through with Kirsch the other day. The, the list was so long and big international awards, local awards. Why are awards important for you and Nedbank? I mean, why are they such a, why are they important? Yes, I mean, let me talk in the marketing space. So one of my visions is to build 
the strongest marketing team on the continent and I'm I'm not shy about it. Like that's what I want to do. To be able to do that, I need the best people to want to come to NetBank, <laughs> to want to come work for our organization. So for me, those awards are people looking and going, I never expected NetBank to be winning these type of awards and stuff. They must be doing something right. And we do get a lot of that now. So, I mean, the caliber of people who want to come work for us um, in marketing has just changed over the last few years. So it is a positioning thing for me when it comes to, you know, the marketing piece. And then, of course, I think for our agencies and for my team, it's always great to have a pat on the back to say, yeah. you know what, you're doing well and the industry can see it because, it, you know, and, and it gives us room to be able to do more because obviously, you know, Mike and Infundo, they can't watch all of these awards and and then say, Kenzie, like, you can't do that. They watch them and it, it almost gives you the room to explore more. As Metaverse. Well, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you have created such an impact in numerous companies in the one you're working in. And so I suppose that the last question is, if you were going to become an entrepreneur and run your own business, who would you partner up with? Who would you want to be partnering up with? Partnering in what sense? Like maybe other entrepreneurs or other people who you'd want to work with. Sure. I haven't been asked this question and I'm like, I need to think about it a little bit. Let me think. Firstly, okay, so whenever I think about like running my own um, business, okay, maybe let me take a step back a little bit. One of the things that I think is an unfair narrative in South Africa is this idea that the only answer is entrepreneurship, right? Like I mm. I certainly think that um, you know, working for an organization, you are able to fulfill your personal goals and your financial goals, you know, with all of that, like, you don't, we don't all have to be entrepreneurs, but I do know that I don't want to work for, you know, you know, when I do retire, I, I certainly think I'm the type of person who who wants to, I'm not going to be an entrepreneur, but when I do retire and I'm, I'm trying to retire young, Ralph, so, you know, like, I would love to don't do have it. my... Don't do it. <laughs> I'd love to have my own wine brand. Um, ah. I, that's actually what I'd love to do. And maybe, you know, the one of the people that I do admire is Andrea Millenier, who runs um, the Millenier wine brand and stuff. And one of the reasons I, there's a couple of reasons I admire her. One, she's female and she's done incredibly well in that space where if you, if you, you know, the winemakers, when they stand up, they're male and white, right? And here she is. Two, she brings, and maybe because she's American, the way she thinks about wine and the conversations about wine is so new and authentic. I, I think sometimes the way we talk about wine is very old fashioned and, you know, you struggle to bring new people into the category because you're saying to people, you know, what are the, you know, can you smell the plums? And I was like, I can't smell any plums. <laughs> So she's she's brought <laughs> I love that the, the just she's brought so much innovation into the conversation and how she makes her wines and stuff and then finally the way she looks at her brand so if you go to the Leo Wine Estate you know there's that um, award winning restaurant on it there's the spa on it and the the wine tastings that she does are very different so I admire people like that who can come into a very traditional this is how the industry works and then they say no that's not how the industry is going to work and do extremely well. So if I did you know to have like yeah going to entrepreneurship it'll certainly be maybe maybe I'll open like a, a bookstore where you can buy wine and put both uh -huh. my passions together. <laughs> they say you should follow your passion. But but 
I think there there possibly is this allure of entrepreneurship, but I I get the sense the best organisations do have entrepreneurs in them, and I actually would consider you an entrepreneur. They call them intrapreneurs, and and mm. that's entrepreneurs within the businesses. Because no, thank I, you for that. That's a massive compliment. <laughs> yeah, because I think that you need those risk takers. You need the bold people, visionary, because that's what it's it's about finding what the customer wants and really delivering on what they want. And I think you've got that like down to a T. And and I and I see it as one of the most important things because corporates need to grow, thrive, Absolutely. and carry on. So it's yeah. it's not like one's worse or better than the other. They're both Absolutely. needed. I I completely agree with you. I mean, I for me, I mean, this what NetBank has done for me is give me the space to be innovative. All of the things that entrepreneurs like to think talk 100%. about to be um what's the word like you know I've got I've got flexibility. I've got like all of that. I've been able to do it in an organization. So you know there's space for both. And I think as long as you're clear what works for you and how it works for you, you're good. <laughs> You've just got a bigger budget than the rest of us to, to execute. You got you can have bolder ideas. Exactly. This is what people don't get. Like. <laughs> It was amazing to speak to you. Thanks so much. I'm glad we finally got it down. I wish you all the best for the, the silly you, season. Rob. And um, yeah, I know you're doing, is it the, the Youth X or did yes. that happen? Is that happening so now? Tomorrow, we've got the Youth X Summit oh, at wow. Victoria Yards where we're going to be announcing winners, um, young people who've got ideas that NetBank funds. Um, I mean, I have to talk about last year's winner, Kate Dumetzi. Her idea was basically the democratization of legal advice. So she's created this oh, app yeah. um, where you can access lawyers at a very like, you know, very low price point and stuff. So we're helping her build that app and stuff. So I love youth X. Again, one of our sponsored properties that I think have a positive impact here. And finally, you've, you've partnered us on Top and Pound as yes. well for next year. So we're also yes. excited about that. And <laughs> maybe we get Klopp to come and talk there. Oh or something. my gosh, I imagine, that, that hey? is on you. Thank you so much. Have a lovely festive season and we'll speak to you soon. Perfect. Thanks, Ralph. Thank you. <laughs>